Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, Solar Warrior. Wow, it feels so interesting to think that I've done this more than 500 times. I just want to say thank you so much for lending me your ears and the only non-renewable resource you possess, that is your time. And hey, especially if you're new here, if you followed a link of somebody else who was saying you got to listen to this podcast because this guy's done 500 episodes and you've never even heard of Suncast, I am so honored. And I hope that you'll get a ton of value from this episode, but more so from the canon of content that sits before it. And I want to thank you before anything else for giving us a chance to earn your attention. And what a milestone to finally accomplish. More than 600,000 times you've pressed download on 500 episodes. And at an average of roughly 50 minutes, and debatable, I'm being conservatively short, I suppose, We've recorded over 25,000 minutes of audio. That's 416 and two-thirds hours of content, which is 17.36 days, 2.48 weeks, and just over half a month of continuous listening, which unfortunately would have only covered about 10% of the first ever military aircraft trip flight around the world back in 1924. Took a total of 175 days. That said, in 1986, the first nonstop flight around the world was completed in a mere nine days. So you could have circled the Earth almost twice listening to Suncast. And in case you're curious, yeah, the current record is held at a scant 67 hours by Steve Fawcett in the Virgin Atlantic-backed Global Flyer. And yes, before someone out there says it, I know Concord did it faster. But that isn't exactly something anybody will repeat anytime soon now, is it? All that to say, my, 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 how time flies. From the first ever episode with my friend, Adam James, back on my birthday, October 6th, 2015, to now, gotta say I'm over the moon to have achieved such a momentous milestone. But I truly say this from the deepest place of gratitude, I could not have achieved even 50 episodes if you were not downloading this podcast and encouraging me to keep going. And I'll also note that I've always said the first 500, well, they're just practice for whatever comes next. So trust me, I'm as interested to see what comes next as you are. Today's entrepreneur, well, it's me. I asked numerous times on different forums and time and again, folks came back saying, Nico, it's been 500 episodes. Somebody should interview you, my man. So, thought long and hard. Who would be a good Sherpa for this task? And I asked my good friend, a Suncast legend with three appearances and the most all-time downloaded guest 
of the show, Mr. Andy Clump of Clean Energy Associates, to join me and be my guide through the process of unpacking a bit more what episode 500 means to us all and how we got here. I do hope you'll stick around. I can truly say that I share some deep stories that I've never shared anywhere else, least of all here on the podcast. I'd like to take a moment to thank Andy for insisting that he really did want to interview me. To each and every single guest who gave so generously of their time and their trust in me to help deliver their story with care and curiosity. To my wife, Betsy, for believing that I'm not crazy for believing that I could actually make a living speaking into this microphone. To my family for teaching me the value of hard work and true family values. To my good buddy, Harry Duran, the podcast junkie himself, who kept me on the podcast path. To every sponsor, all the way back to our very first in phase, who believed in me. Thank you, Luis Morales. You believed in me along the way and invested in this platform and these listeners in you. Yes, you would not be here right now if it wasn't for Helioscope, Energy Tool Base, Yada Energy, Alliant Energy, Soul Rates. The list goes on and on. I really do have a long list. You'll, you'll hear how to find that out a little bit later. But I'm so grateful for every sponsor and every dollar because they helped to keep listeners like you from missing out on this content and also helped you not hear me constantly beg you to join my Patreon. (laughs) I'd like to also thank the many, many people who reached out to me through the years to encourage me to keep going with your stories of how Suncast was having an impact on your personal and professional life as you journey through your clean energy career. Thank you for showing up. It is half the battle after all. So if you like what you hear, and this is your first time here, welcome to our tribe. I know I've said it before, but it truly is the family I sought to create seven years ago. Please be sure you will subscribe to the show as that will ensure that you won't miss out on our twice weekly content just like this. And you can always check out the 499 additional founder stories and startup advice at mysuncast.com. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Hello, Suncast listeners. You are quite accustomed to Nico Johnson's voice, but today I am going to be interviewing Nico as a chance to turn the tables and give him uh, the spotlight. I have been the good fortune to be on the Suncast episodes uh, 120, 335, 414. But today, Nico's asked me to highlight what is a massive milestone, episode 500. And I feel very honored to have the chance to do that with you today, Nico. So, Nico, I'd love to love this started off. And uh, I, would, I, would, I want the audience to really hear your true story, because the story mm-hmm. is out there if you listen to all the other episodes. But like a lot of listeners who may have started think, at episode I think only you have done that. <laughs> <laughs> I personally have listened to over 450 episodes, and I Man. know that because I could watch all those that I've, I've played. But <laughs> I off, have yeah. learned a tremendous amount from you, Nico. I became an avid listener since 2018 when you first interviewed mm-hmm. me. 
I listened to a lot of the previous episodes, the old Latin America you know, feel of your your start. And I've seen the transition as you've escalated, interviewed yeah. top bright talent in the sector, but also brought in others outside the industry. And we're going to touch on that a little bit later. So, Nico, I want to turn the tables over to you and uh, ask you some questions very personal about your background, reflecting on 500 episodes and we're going to get to the future when we get to uh, your vision for the next 500 to reach uh, Suncast episode 1000 and when that may be. Certainly. Yeah. Well, before we jump in there, uh, I want to take a moment in the outset, and I'm sure I will at the beginning of the end, to thank you uh, for those who have not had the privilege of meeting Andy. He is one of my dear friends. When I thought about, as I often do overthink ideas like this, who would be the right guide in a conversation after so many of you said, when I said, hey, what would episode 500 look like? An overwhelming number of folks said, turn the table. Somebody needs to interview you, Nico. And I said, okay, well, there's only maybe a half a dozen people that I would trust with that, with that responsibility in terms of folks who both know me, know the industry, are fans and friends of podcasts uh, and Suncast in, in particular, Andy and to your point just now of listening over to 450 episodes, I'm pretty sure that that means you've listened to more final finished episodes than I have. <laughs> um, I've done them all. Uh, that one, I can say I did not punt on the actual interview process, but I recognize that it is a true commitment for anyone. As I say in the intro, every time folks are giving me the most precious resource they have, and that's time. And I've started to say in some ways, attention as well, because attention is valuable, right? Because you can give me your time while you're on a run and be distracted by other things and not listening or learning. Uh, but to give your time and your attention and learn, Andy, you're one of the few people who still to this day will text me and say, hey, this one thing in this episode, that was really cool. I learned this this element of business from or of, of, of the industry, or I, I see things differently now because of this guest. And I appreciate that about you and the many I'll say the few and the few who do take the time to more than listen, but to internalize the work. So thank you for that. And thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule, both the one that you have now while you're on vacation, which I'm grateful for. And uh, the many times that you have uh, have given uh, to the Suncast tribe through your contributions to the podcast, um, most notably and recently when you sat here in the studio with me in Durham. Uh, a moment I will treasure. Well, Nico, you're far too humble. Uh, there are many avid listeners of Suncast. I'm just one of uh, many. Uh, and I happen to be an entrepreneur as well. Uh, I used to be a struggling one. I'm, I'm still a, a mediocre one at best. But I will say you have created a platform for the industry to learn. And I love that. Uh, unending curiosity is part of the CA's values, uh, my business. And I'm very pleased that you've given that message to many entrepreneurs. And I know that there are many folks who, if they don't tell you, uh, they'll tell me that they're avid listeners. So your following is huge. And with over 400,000 downloads and soon to be uh, seven years of history come uh, come October, we've reached a major milestone. So I would love to maybe yeah. roll back the clock a little bit and talk a yeah, little bit more it. on the, the, the Johnson family history. And Nico, you've said this before, but I think not everyone has listened to some of the older episodes. Talk a little further about your grandfather, 
uh, involvement mm -hmm. in the, you know, as a, as a farmer or your father in construction, but maybe there's, maybe there's a generation before that. I don't know how far your family lineage goes. You had multiple generations yeah. of entrepreneurship, but I would love to know, uh, those early days prior to you coming on this earth. Tell me a little bit more of the Johnson family. One of the things that I seek to better understand through the questions I ask in the podcast relate to what is the construct that creates, that fosters, that enables the, the person we become as an adult to flower as a child, right? I really think there's a lot there that folks themselves don't unpack or in, internalize or intuit. And it's one of the early questions I ask around, what was the conversation like around the dinner table? Or who was your hero growing up? That for me, give a ability to reflect on the kind of environment you were raised in and whether or not that is inadvertently or directly, as we most likely believe it is, a sign of, of how your predisposition to believe and have the audacity that you can create something from nothing and um, rather than be uh, otherwise um, a, another, an otherwise useful supporter of someone else's dreams. And, and I come from a long family of blue collar entrepreneurs. We didn't call it entrepreneurship. You know, we, we called it livelihood in, in, in rural South Carolina where I grew up. My grandfather was a gentleman's farmer, believe it or not. Uh, he was actually an electrician and his father before him did a lot of things um, among them farming. They owned a couple hundred acre farm in rural South Carolina, just outside of Myrtle Beach, about 30 miles where I grew up. And I grew up going every week to that farm, it was on my mother's side, with my family to actually work in the family farm. And it was like when, when folks make a family garden today, it's often, you know, raised beds, square foot garden in the backyard. This was like an entire three acres of probably a thousand, uh, a thousand yards of butter beans. Have you ever, have you ever bent over? I can't imagine you at six, eight bending over to pick up pig butter beans. Have you done that, Andy? I, I have not. I have not. Okay. My grandfather grew up on a farm, but uh, <laughs> I, I did not have that uh, experience. So it was still a farm by the time I was a kid. So, so, so there's a couple of entrepreneurs um, stories and, and elements that, that I carry with me. Uh, the first is as a family of entrepreneurs, there's a commitment to the family farm that if you wanted to partake of the fruits of that farm, you had to invest in that farm, right? You had to be there physically, sweat equity, right? You had to show up. You didn't get to eat the corn or the butter beans or the okra, <laughs> my personal favorite, until you got out there and you put the sock on your arm and you broke the okra. That shit itches, man. It itches. And I remember just every uh, summer, always, it was a thing that we always had to go to the farm and work in the garden. But you know, the memory from the farm that's strongest for me, I didn't get from my granddad, I got from my grandma. And she probably is the, the matriarch entrepreneur in the family that taught me the most um, and whom I reflect the most on. And she had the biggest impact on my mom, who had the biggest, the biggest sort of impact on my thinking around commitment to family and family ideals by a long shot. And that was, my grandma was always in the, uh, was always in the garden. She never s sat back and like watched other people do the work. She did it right alongside us. 
And the thing that she would say when anytime uh, a kid would complain, uh, namely my sister, (laughs) about not being done, and I would complain because I was done, and uh, meaning I'd gotten to the end of my row and I'd done my work, uh, my grandma would say, all right, boy, get in there on your sister's row. Like, what do you mean get in on her row? It's like, nobody's done till we're all done. That's a fantastic message. And I imagine that legacy of your grandmother carries right down through the generation. So there are a yeah. lot of strong women who played uh, important roles in the, in the family, uh, mm. particularly on farm families. I know that was the case with my grandmother as well. So uh, yeah. I'm glad that you had that, that, uh, that exposure to your grandparents as a, as a young child. So Andy, um, a couple more points on entrepreneurship in my family. Uh, I never really thought about my family as entrepreneurial. Uh, I thought my family as um, low to middle income, struggling, you know, country folks that were looking for a better life for their children, just like their parents before them. And my parents worked hard. My dad had a construction business. Uh, he was gone at 530 in the morning and he'd get home at 536 o'clock in the evening. <laughs> I was a latchkey kid. My mom was working her way up from uh, do- double shifts in the ICU up to now being vice president of administration for major regional hospital. Even that has entrepreneurial tenants in it because she started everything she ever did. She started the uh, intensive care uh, rehabilitation unit, the cardiac rehabilitation unit. She built out numerous sort of new practices for the hospital that were profitable uh, ventures for the hospital. And I watched my grandmother who owned the flower shop in our town, right? Like her job was to make flowers for the big occasions in our life, both the weddings and the births, as well as most often the funerals. Um, so got to learn from my nurse mom and her florist mother, and even my gentleman farmer grandfather, the power of empathy, of listening, and probably the thing that most of the farmers in my town were best at, because they didn't particularly like to talk, is the power of asking the right questions. And I can totally see the, uh, first of all, I appreciate you opening up and sharing that about your, uh, personal family background, because our industry uh, resides on the back of many, uh, many entrepreneurial families. But uh, this modern age, we all have this grandiose vision of entrepreneurship, having a great IPO or this massive exit. That's not really what (laughs) entrepreneurship is about. It is often about staying up till uh, 1 a.m. in preparation for the meetings the next day, waking up at 5 a.m. that next day, uh, or 6 a.m. to go to the, the back-to-back-to-back calls. I did that for years myself, and I still have uh, many late-night calls and early morning. Uh, and frankly, that early morning routine, even at, on a vacation, I still wake up at 5.30 because it's just so ingrained, ingrained in my system. I, I normally wake up at 5 a.m., so 5.30 is a bit of a break for me. But the reality is the U.S. Uh, notion of entrepreneurship is one that's, uh, I think, been dramatized by by a lot of successful exits that have happened recently. Hmm. There are many facets of the workers in our industry, and we are a blue collar industry. I know yeah. because my uh, I, I I go I enjoy going to the field or on the rooftops, seeing the solar and it's actually happening on the ground, and talking with the construction workers who are actually deploying uh, you know gigawatts uh, throughout our country to help fuel our energy infrastructure. And so the, I think the the story you mentioned is uh, is emblematic of, of what I think a lot of entrepreneurs uh, are made up of. And that's based on past generations of, of hard work uh, to bring us to uh, to where we are today. And it it's I can see very deeply uh, the emotion and also 
the theme, once again, about working with your hands, working on what's good for the earth. And I think, you know, coming around to what we're doing in solar and energy storage, and many other renewable energy sectors is really about how do we invest further back in the in the planet and protecting the, the environment. Yeah, I had um, I'll tag on to that one little bit about farming that I think is really important to the culture that we want to create in in our businesses. Right. But also in our in our industry. Uh, and that is one that uh, I know you identify with and align with around uh, because culture is, a, is an important aspect of entrepreneurship is creating fertile soil. I'll never forget the one of the main lessons I took away from uh, a pastor of a church that we attended before we moved back to moved out to Mexico. The church is called Farm Church, and they did an, an incredible job of outreach to the community. And it was a very intentional uh, group of folks who were seeking uh, to be a part of the community. And the 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 culture of Farm Church and the, and even the theme of it was a church that meets on a farm and leverages the resources of a farm to address food insecurity in Durham. And that was it. That, that was the, the, the nexus of why people gathered at farm church, right? And yeah, there was message on uh, sort of the fundamental truths of life. And many, many people from different faiths showed up to express their, their version of that truth. But the, the lesson that the pastor Allen uh, said once sitting in the, in the middle of the field, he picked up a handful of dirt and he said, you know, and I know you'll appreciate this as an entrepreneur who's built a business with more than 100 employees. He said, we don't show up every day here to grow food. A lot of people think that because we've given away tons of food, we are a food producer. When we drag out the hose, when we uh, get down on our knees, we're growing one thing and we're growing it really well, and that's soil. And he said, all the other stuff is magic. How that soil grows the food we eat, I'll never understand. And if we extrapolate that to the businesses that we're creating, how, how beautiful of a, a vision is that for our companies, right? We aren't creating a product or a widget. We're creating, an, we're creating a culture and a, 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 a fertile ground for humans to dig roots and contribute. And over the 500 episodes that I've done, Time and again, with companies like yours, I've seen leaders who believe that culture in the business is the most important place to fertilize and to spend time and to cultivate the reality that this business is more than just creating a service, the real services to the humans that show up every day and give their time to your company and help to build your dream, right? Not, not just you and me, Andy, but... Every entrepreneur who tunes into Suncast or, or the Tim Ferriss show or how I built this or what it takes or Energy Gang or you name it, all the podcasts we're addicted to, right? Um, we're all looking to answer, how do we do this better? How do we build a company where people want to show up? And that's, that's, been my, that's been my mission for the last seven years is how do I build the definitive solar industry and increasingly beyond? the definitive career guide, the definitive sort of company template that folks can look to and say, how did Andy think about it? Or how did Dan Sugar or Jigger Shaw, Abby Hopper, Heather Zeichel, uh, Tara Doyle, Amanda Bybee, how did these people who created amazing culture and business in our industry, how, where did that come from in their life? And how did they in, instill that desire in others 
to pursue one thing for multiple years. It's, it's a remarkable feat for any entrepreneur to be able to inspire that in others, right? And I've just been on this, this, this pursuit of trying to understand it and unlock it. I completely agree that you have an important key, Nico, is that through your own personal experience, your family's uh, heritage, you've, uh, you've now, you bring that, the essence of what I think the, you know, your guests are, uh, are, are trying to convey. And that's, that's really about what is the foundation? What is that fertile soil that allows their company to grow and scale? And so you're absolutely right. Uh, and I think the message of culture is something that resonates very deeply with me because I was also a misguided entrepreneur who didn't have any culture when I first set up and I got yeah. lucky and had a break, grew to 30 or 40 uh, team members in a accelerated period of time after many years of hard knocks. But it wasn't really until year seven of my business that we figured out that we had to invest deeply in culture. We transformed our company culture and it was a rough year or two until we had that hit that hit our stride. And then we saw 5X growth in the last seven years as a result. So I completely agree uh, that you have that uh, foundation. And so I still want to, I want to, I want to dig a little deeper on the foundation stories. You talked about, yeah. you know, the, the, the multi-generations of uh, struggle and entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial spirit and various things. And then bring that to you growing up. You've had this experience with your, your, your grandfather, uh, I'd love to bring it maybe just a little more centrally to your um, your parents and maybe just highlight your mother. How would your mother describe you as a child growing up? Because I know there's you had a musical talent. You're an incredible voice. You thought about going down the path and uh, the music industry and, and being a, a professional singer. There, there are a variety of things that we can talk about. But how would your mother describe you and uh, how is that kind of how does that weave into the fabric of your legacy? that Suncast is, is now uh, bringing to uh, hundreds of thousands of others who are listening and downloading your, uh, your episodes. Man, we should, have had, um, we should have had Betsy, my wife, and Linda, my mom, <laughs> join us because that would have been, that's a question I would love to hear my mom answer. I really believe, by the way, that one of the missed opportunities most of us uh, experience in our life is the, it's the realization that we didn't ask enough questions of our parents and our grandparents when we had the opportunity. Uh, because we assume for so long in our lives that they have the right answers. If, if in fact, we have a good relationship with our parents, which is not everyone listening, um, and I get that. But for those who have the modicum of like positive relationship, positive role models from their parents, like I know I, for one, took for granted that like my parents were right. Like they, they, they must know something that I don't, right? They, they've, they've survived and they brought me in this world. Um, but I'd love to hear my mom's thoughts on this because uh, it was only in my in my thirties, late thirties and, and now in the forties that I started to get to know my mom as an adult, right? I stopped looking at her as this person I idolized as my mom and, and like this older person. And now we're both adults and we can experience a relationship together. I'm going to answer your question by the way, but I did, um, I did, I've given this advice to many and I'm going to give it to you and to, cause I, I know that you've had some personal experiences where, um, this will resonate, but I have shared I've had feedback from numerous folks over the last five years when I say to them, if you have someone in your life who still has stories that you don't know, I would encourage you just take out your iPhone, press record and ask them as many questions as you can think of. Because the number one thing that we, the first thing, statistically, categorically, the first thing that we forget about someone that we love when they're gone is the sound of their voice. And so uh, 
I've always been attracted to the microphone. Always. My parents put me on stage uh, at a very young age in church because my mom played the piano. And because I had a predilection for showing off and I'd grab the microphone when they were in choir practice and I would just get up and start singing. And uh, I remember singing the song Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> Not in church, but uh, at about <laughs> two years, at about two years old. And my grandma said, because my I grew up in a, a Christian household, my grandma said, you got to get that boy up on the stage, Linda. And uh, sure enough, I was soon singing from the stage. So a couple of things that my mom would probably say about me is that Nico, who she calls Nick, <laughs> uh, my, my name, my given name is Nicholas, if any, for anyone who's seen my LinkedIn. And um, uh, it's Nicholas. And um, most people in high school and even parts of college called me Nick or Nicholas. But um, I gave myself the name Nico when I went off to Peace Corps. I'm sure we'll probably dip into that a little bit. But my mom would say Nico has, or Nick has, boundless energy. Uh, as a child, he, I went to the emergency room so often at the hospital where my mom worked that they pulled her aside and asked if she needed intervention, right? Like they didn't believe that I was so full of life and, and, uh, and, and so reckless, as it were, as to need to go to the emergency room as often as I was going. And it was for a broken arm. And, uh, in one week I had a cut on both sides of my forehead. I literally had stitches on both sides of my head. Um, I was, I was just constantly testing the boundaries and the limits of my physical capacity. Uh, and, and then, uh, as a result, even in the hospital visits with those doctors, I never met a stranger, right? Probably surprised to many, right? Uh, I just, Never met a stranger. I always had this fundamental belief that this new friend is in my life for a reason, right? Uh, who, what am I supposed to learn from this person? And genuinely, I can see, we're looking back on it, that I was, I was always uh, just like fiercely curious about what's happening around me, asking questions of everyone. Um, could never have scripted that that would turn into something like a job. But I'll tell you, recently I've been reflecting on some of my early heroes. And it's funny because raised in a Christian household, uh, we weren't encouraged to do things like listen to Howard Stern. You could probably imagine. But like Howard Stern fascinated me, right? Here's this guy who could hold court for four hours on the radio, right? You think about Joe Rogan today, like Joe stands on the shoulders of Larry King and, and Howard Stern, right? And I was fascinated by this idea that this guy could get away with like talking about sex on the radio, talking about drugs on the radio, making fun of midgets on the radio. And my mom would say like, Nick is, he's going to, I don't know how he's going to make money, but it's got a microphone involved. I was that kid who, no matter where I was in the house, when Star Search came on, I'd come sprinting and I'd be planted right in front of the television, right? Now, that's digging back in history. Andy and I remember who's, what Star Search is, right? Like we remember yeah, Ed McMahon. Absolutely. We remember Ed McMahon. A lot of folks think about America's Got Talent as like, oh, they invented the category. No, they didn't. Star Search invented the category and many variety shows before them uh, sort of created this idea that we could crowdsource uh, the idea of searching for talent. But I really believed early on in my life and this is what my mom would say. I believed that I was born to be a star. <laughs> Fantastic. That's great. And I, uh, I, I can see from those early, early images of you just grabbing the microphone at two years, three years and 
learning to to kind of maintain that limelight because that's um, that's obviously something that as you had a plan to go down a music based career, there was some uh, thoughts and I've, I know we've talked about this before, but if I had to then fast forward as you, you know, you grew up from this very, you know, small town, South Carolina environment yet. Uh, and and I, I faced the same challenge growing up in St. Louis myself. I just never traveled beyond Missouri, Illinois, and Kansas by the time I was 15. And you sounds like when did you, you get were, your fa- your first passport? Andy? I, it was it was in college around the same time as you is when I went to uh, Europe for the first time. And it, I saw that uh, it blows I, I my that mind, you, man. You had yours when you were going to Spain. So, yeah, I'm just curious, where did the seed of the international nature mm. uh, uh, this this ambition to to be global? And, you know, it's getting to go on uh, as you did with uh, the Peace Corps but I mean, how did how did that where, where was the seed from that international mindset um, planted, even in though the, that early, very local community you had in, in South Carolina? As with everything, Andy, it all started with a girl. Mm-hmm. I was a uh, sophomore in college and is that right? Sophomore or junior? Yeah, I was a sophomore, second semester of sophomore year, specifically thinking about timing and a girl I had a crush on my freshman year was sitting two peop- two seats down and I hadn't seen her in forever. This being our second year of school. And I went over and I said, Hey, where, where have you been? I've been, I, I haven't seen you around campus. She goes, Oh, I wasn't here. I was studying abroad. And, uh, anybody who knows me knows that I never, ever, ever pass up a chance to make a double entendre or like a crass joke. It's just something that, <laughs> My kids, like it set me up perfectly to be a dad because I know how to now make clean jokes that are also (laughs) never lose an opportunity. Right. Uh, And I, of course, my response was, well, was she worth it? And, uh, (laughs) and, uh, and this is way before, this is 20 plus years ago. This is way before in the rural South uh, or even in Columbia, South Carolina, it would have been really acceptable to talk about like anything other than like cisgender relationships, right? Like standard relationships. So she sort of, chuckled and she said, no, I mean, I went to Europe and uh, that's where I was for the last uh, six months. And I said, what do you mean you went to Europe? Like, aren't you in school? And she's like, yeah, I studied in school in Europe. I'm like, well, how'd you get to come back to South Carolina? She's like, they, they organized it for me. It's amazing. This thing called study abroad and a world unfolded for this like farm boy who had never really even contemplated getting a passport (laughs) where I realized, and I was a surfer but like a, a country bumpkin surfer, like I was trying to be the farm boy learning to surf and hanging out with the kids in Myrtle Beach. And they all called me that country hick. And I'm intentionally turning my Southern accent on right now so that people can sort of recognize that like I did come from a world where I was, I would, I'm shorter than average. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm different in many ways from like what the, what the world would consider to be like your prototypical uh, average human, I guess. And so I was always challenged with these insecurities of like, who am I meant to be? But I, in that moment where, uh, I brought surfing up because when she said, you can study abroad and it's part of your curriculum. I was like, well, dang it. I'm going to go to like Costa Rica and surf for a semester. How do I do that? And the short of it is you have to have like an advanced level of Spanish to go to Costa Rica. And I had zero Spanish. Cause I had, uh, I was Spanish student of the year in high school, which actually meant that going into engineering, in undergrad, I could opt out of language because I tested out of, of like 
Spanish 101, which was the only requirement, like one year of language in college. And I'd test it out. And now we're in my sophomore year. And I'm like, wait, I need an advanced level to go to Costa Rica. Okay, well, where can I go with an intermediate or an, an entry level? And the answer was Spain. And uh, so I ended up, uh, this could unfold a whole lot of things about my story, but I ended up studying in Spain the last semester of my senior year uh, after working my ass off for three semesters to get to an inter- intermediate level of Spanish. And that three and a half months in Spain, fundamentally and for eternity, changed my perspective on the world and the perspectives of my children and their children and their children. And I don't know if I was the first person in my family to get a passport, but I think I was. And I'm definitely in my nuclear family. Like my parents had, did they get a passport to come see me in Guatemala like several years later? So actually three or four years later. So I had studied business, uh, but mostly marketing. Uh, I kind of almost failed out of the engineering school, to be honest. Um, and I went to business because uh, I like dealing with people and not computers. I didn't realize there was a path to, to management in engineering, or I would have probably stuck with engineering and just like taken the management track and got an MBA because that's actually, by the way, if you're listening and you're thinking about this, an MBA engineer is probably one of the most powerful career tracks you can choose. So listen up, like don't fail out of engineering just because it's boring and you hate physics uh, and you don't like staring at computers because you're going to stare at computers anyway the rest of your career. I wish somebody had told me that, um, but I enjoyed business school and that's where, that's where I met this lady who opened my mind. I never would have met her if I wasn't in a marketing class. Um, I wouldn't have gone to Spain. I wouldn't have graduated a semester later. I wouldn't have met my wife. All the wonderful things about my life that now created this multicultural uh, adult human being who cares deeply about the path our world is on and how it uh, impacts the marginalized because I've worked with and lived with the marginalized communities in, uh, in our society. But that that's the fundamental answer. Uh, you know, I went on to grad school to, to study international market development, specifically around social impact and social impact management, how, what it looks like when IBM goes into Costa Rica and sets up a call center. How, does, how do they set that business up so that it actually works with the local culture? And believe it or not, I never thought I would be able to apply that. But when I was at Trina, we were looking at how do we set up our offices in Chile and Brazil. And I saw so many companies, and you've seen this time and time again in our industry, send expats from, I'll say Europe, to Latin America and build an entire team of Europeans in whatever capital city they moved to without regard for what it looked like to the locals of like this business that was trying to be local without actually hiring locals. So through, through that, uh, through that experience with, uh, you know, a girl who opened my mind to the idea that I could study abroad and it could be, it could be incorporated into my learning. I, began to understand that there's a bigger world than uh, rural South Carolina. There's a bigger world than even California, where, which I had always hoped uh, and dreamed to move. And it sounds like there are many different learnings from that, uh, that initial experience, but I, I want to pick up one that, once again, stays personal to you, and that is, uh, that is dealing with Betsy. And I've had the good fortune uh, last fall to, to meet Betsy when I visited your home in, in Durham, and uh, I must applaud you for having a phenomenal wife uh, who's been with you for all these years. You have three wonderful children as well. But I, I just, I want to ask the question as uh, out of my own personal interest, because I know my wife deals with a lot as well, but how does your wife, Betsy, deal with the ups and downs of entrepreneurship? Because it is not an easy path by any stretch. God only knows. So uh, tell uh, me a little bit more about her and uh, how would she respond to that, uh, that question? It's a special 
relationship, the couple that makes it through entrepreneurship. You and I, Andy, have been privileged to have wives that understand the struggle and understand it in a supportive way, uh, who are compassionate to our sense of compulsion and need for the hunt in exchange for time with our family. Uh, you and I have both shared privately and probably publicly the, the, the hardship of knowing I've got to be gone for 50% of the next month uh, or more. I mean, I've seen you travel for three months. Uh, I've seen you get stuck here in the United States and not be able to see your beautiful girls other than on FaceTime. And it takes a special human to care enough about someone else's dream to in some way subjugate their own desires to that. And my wife and I've been married for 16 years. And I remember, I mean, I've done so many dumb things uh, from a business perspective. Early on, I, while running Blue Line Power, my first venture, I uh, was also simultaneously trying to start a multi-level marketing business with Market America. And I remember, uh, she'll laugh if she hears this. I remember getting, laying in bed one night and she said something and I just said, I just want you to believe in me. And, uh, and she was raised in a family that asked questions freely. And I was raised in a family where candidly, like we didn't ask questions freely. We didn't question authority. We didn't question in particular, like what daddy says or whatever, right? Like it was, there's, there was this sort of, um, uh, I don't, I won't say like dictatorial truth, but there was definitely sort of a, a hard line where parents are right and kids are, uh, learning <laughs> and, uh, and I sort of internalized um, that the, in the sense of like, you don't question, you don't question parents and like the wife is there to sort of like be uh, an ally to the husband. And I sort of took that for granted. And my wife definitely did not. Like she was born in a family where it was okay to say, mm, I don't think this is going in the right direction. What are you going to do here? And to question it early and often. And she's been a great ally for me in that regard. Um, because even back then when I was trying to finish grad school and I was starting my first solar company, she said, why is this important to you? Um, this other thing that's not your solar company. And the answer was like, I just didn't know what was important to me. I didn't know what I wanted to be. And I was trying everything. And I was, um, as, a, as, a, as is probably still true in, in many ways today, I had so many lines in the water, right? Think about the fishing analogy. And Betsy has been the, she's been the steady anchor that has moored me to something that felt more like consistent truth in my life. Um, beyond my faith, She's been the, that anchor and that rock that has allowed me the freedom to experiment. You know, one of the things that I often would ask early on, and I stopped asking because it just felt like that's not me and it's not my story and I can't identify, was the number of entrepreneurs who had working wives who helped pay the bills while they were able to uh, explore and experiment. And while I really, while I found that to be a very common scenario, um, an unsung, the unsung hero of many of our friends' business is their wife who paid the freaking bills while they floundered for years trying to figure out what they were doing. That's not my story because my wife, about the time, long before I started Suncast, about the time um, my first child was born, she left um, her day-to-day -day job and took on the job of, of raising our children. Um, and now that's 11 years and I've been doing Suncast for seven years, so you can do the math on that. Um, she has always depended on my ability to make rain. And do you know, to her credit, the number of times I've been offered an, an interesting six-figure salary, uh, not insignificant. She's never once asked me to go back to work. She's never once said, aren't you tired of this? Uh, in fact, 
when I've said, I'm so weary. I don't know if I can do this again anymore. I don't think I can do another like 3 a.m. production of the podcast and get it out at 6 a.m. just in the hope that I get a, a sponsor or a speaking opportunity. Never once did she say, we should just go get a job. She said, okay, but this is what we talked about. This is what you want to do. We sat down and mapped this out. She made me write a business plan. <laughs> she was top of her class in business school. She made me write a business plan for Suncast in order for me to go pay $5,000 for a coach to help me figure out how to put it together, right? I don't think I've ever told, I don't know if I've ever told that story, but um, she said, this is what we talked about in the business plan. And I convinced her that it was possible for me to leave my day job and start a business where I could help others by podcasting and teaching and speaking and coaching. And anytime I've doubted myself, she's been the one to redirect me and, and sort of rechannel that energy and say, I know it's hard. And this is, we talked about this. So I'm going to extend grace to you right now when, while you are wallowing in self-pity. And I'm going to remind you that the number one uh, way to get out of this is to go <laughs> talk to more people, which you happen to be gifted at. And when you're talking to them, ask them if they will support your journey. And uh, you have a number of, way, number of ways to do that. So I'm internally grateful for Betsy um, because she has been that steady rock. She has been the person who continually reminds me that um, I could take an easy path, which is a, it, it could be a rewarding path by allowing other people to, um, to, to give us a W-2 lifestyle and, and make me an employee. Or I could take the path that's fulfilling for me, which is to, uh, to struggle through figuring out how to create something on my own. And uh, as uh, Dave Ramsey says, to go out and kill the bear and drag it back to the cave and know that that, 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 that win, that success is, for, is, for, is, is creating culture for a business that I'm going to run and, and that's serving my community and my employees rather than just, um, you know, uh, I'm a terrible employee. <laughs> and uh, and she, she recognized that early on. And so she's, she's supported and suffered through my entrepreneurial uh, doldrums because she knows that I'm unemployable, as my friend Mike would say, <laughs> proudly unemployable. Well, I, I, I feel very fortunate that I had uh, the chance to meet Betsy. And unfortunately, our time was limited uh, due to the fact you have three rambunctious kids who sound a lot like you. <laughs> Uh, if I, uh, had to describe them in my, my, uh, hour or two, I was in your house, but I, I will definitely say, uh, Betsy is, uh, a core foundation for your success. And I liken her, I see a lot of parallels with my wife, Lindsay, uh, with the exception that, uh, my wife, Lindsay actually was working when we, when I started CEA, I was very fortunate. She did have some steady income that was helpful, uh, because I had a lot of volatility those first couple of years yeah. before she she dialed that back. Um, but unlike, uh, unlike you Betsy, know, Lindsay did ask me several times, are you sure you want to keep doing this? There are more stable <laughs> jobs out there. She was kind of right. hinting pretty directly. And I said, no, my, mm. my worst day in, or my best day in corporate is still not as good as my worst day as an entrepreneur. So uh, I like you. I'm also uh, happily now, unemployable. I'm going to tag on to what you said. Lest someone think that I glorify the idea that my wife had to um, sort of struggle through the fact that I was the only income earner. No way. I am jealous of my friends who had the ability to have the second income and could, cause that is such a pressure relief valve. I can't express enough. If you're listening to me and you think that what I just said was, uh, you don't need a wife. And by the way, those who had 
uh, a partner who was supporting them uh, got the easy path. Hell, hell no. Like that is the preferable path. In fact, unless you've got a couple of hundred thousand dollars in the bank, you damn sure ought not to hit the eject button without a partner that can support you for the first six to 12 months of your business. At least. I just want to be clear on that because uh, <laughs> I don't want to glorify the fact that like my wife and I struggled, struggled mightily in ways that only really like you and a few other people know, Andy. So um, it has not been an easy path for me and it. Uh, and I, and I don't want to glorify uh, that. I just wanted to enunciate the fact that um, it takes, uh, it takes more than just one person's will and grit. And for the people that we see that have like gritted through it, unfortunately, the vast majority of our friends who have done that have lost the other important relationship in their life. And that is their partner. Um, they've chosen to marry themselves to their business and their partner saw that and said, you know what? You can have her, <laughs> right? Or you can have him. Absolutely. And, uh, and that's the sad tragedy about entrepreneurship is that so many entrepreneurs lose that first love, um, uh, in, on the altar of the, of the second love, which becomes their business. Um, and I, you know, I'm really grateful for Betsy being with me through this. Excellent, Nico. So look, that's a, a phenomenal uh, rounding out of your bat past background. But I want to I want to dive uh, dip deep into the Suncast a milestone we're facing of uh, episode number 500. And I'd like to just go back a little bit to the the pivot that you had those first few years, uh, 2015, mm -hmm. uh, early October, your birthday and the birthday of uh, the birth of uh, a Suncast. Mm -hmm. And you started off as this Latam Solar Report with Adam James and great episode <laughs> number one with Adam, as well as one, uh, 117. And he talks about some of that history. It's, I encourage everyone to go back and listen to those episodes. Mm -hmm. And those early episodes with Marco Garcia and many others uh, just were, were phenomenal. But I'd love to go through and understand at what point did you pivot to the deeper calling and broadening it? to a more global audience rather than just focus on Lat on the Latin American audience. And I'd like for you to just go to the deeper, the deeper reason, what's the why behind Suncast? So uh, yeah. I'd love to answer that two-part question. I believe that most entrepreneurs, when they start something, they, they are either crystal clear about the problem they want to solve, or they have no idea uh, about the problem they want to solve, but they have an idea about the way they think they can go about solving many problems, right? I'm in the latter category. I had zero idea what I wanted to do with Suncast uh, when I started. I believe that imitation is the highest form of flattery. And uh, my best friend in high school was the president of the student body. And to his credit, he accurately understood my character. And he said to, of, he was the smartest person in our class. He was number one in class. The number two person in our class academically was this girl, Christy, and I was number three. And, um, and he said, Christy is my scribe, right? She writes down, she can, she can catch, she can capture all of my great ideas. And Nico is my megaphone. Um, and I was kind of always that, uh, anybody who knows me as a child, that's the other thing my mom would say is that Nico is unreasonably loud. <laughs> Just, and if you spend five minutes in my house, that is what Andy is referring to. My children are unreasonably loud. <laughs> like their <laughs> default is, their default volume is 11. Right. As, mm -hmm. as Elon Musk would say. So I had no real clear vision for what I wanted to do with Suncast, but I knew I was born to share other people's stories. I was born to be on the microphone. Uh, I had a boss around the time that I wanted to start Suncast and Sergio uh, Blanco, he was on the show back in February uh, for the first time. He and I have talked about this. Uh, he said to me, I'll never forget this, Andy. You, you may remember this. The first 
actual Suncast event that we did was not a Suncast event formally. It was me trying to figure out how to create community, which is really all I've ever tried to do, by taking this uh, sort of defunct community on LinkedIn called the Latin American Caribbean Solar Alliance, LAXA. Uh, and I bought LAXA.org and I reached out to the, to the group owner and said, hey, can I be the community manager or whatever of this group? And I still am to this day. And I reached out to Kristen Kirsch at Next Tracker, who she had just gotten her job there at the time. Um, and we've become just great friends. She's an amazing marketer, by the way, an amazing leader. Absolutely. Power we female. all know Kristen. And it's a, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a testament to how busy she is that I've never had her on the show because she is just a force. And I got to get Kristen on the show. Kristen, you got to get on the show. So Kristen and um, uh, Katie Durham, I'm now trying to think of what Katie's last name was. She was at Connergy with me and, uh, and Sergio Blanco and a couple of us. Like we put together, uh, along with Edgar Arvizu and Marco Garcia, we put together this thing. Uh, called the Latin America Meetup at Intersolar 2015, I think. This is July. And in fact, I was going to use that meetup as like the launching pad for a podcast because I had been noodling uh, this idea of podcast. I was going to do something on on kite surfing, uh, just sort of tangential to the industry, something that's not related at all. I can think about it without having to think about work uh, because I had basically decided I want to do a podcast. I want to sort of scratch this itch to be on stage. I'm probably never going to be a musician again. I was in the music industry for a long time. Never going to be on the stage as a musician uh, in any formal way, but maybe I can podcast because I'd been following this thing and I'm just a podcast junkie. I listened to podcasts while I was running and um, I was working in Latin America and this guy, Adam James, was then a newbie uh, uh, analyst at Green Tech Media and he had created this thing called the LATAM Solar Report. Right. And so I created this event uh, for the LATAM meetup. And I'm going to come back to the report in a minute. This is summer of 2015. And uh, after, after running that event, basically as the moderator um, with Sergio, my boss at Conergy on the panel with Marco Garcia and Edgar Arvizu, who were episodes three and six or eight, if I'm not mistaken, Sergio came up to me and he said, I've never seen you so alive. Uh, he said, you were great. And he tapped into something that's been true about me my whole life and that we talked about earlier that my mom recognized early. And she, he said, when you had them, like when you had that microphone in your hand, like a switch turned on, like a different person showed up. Uh, and I didn't even think about it. And even without thinking, I said to him, if I could make money doing that, I would do this for the rest of my life. And it was startling for him because he's my boss at Conergy, right? Like I'm not supposed to be making money doing anything other than developing solar projects in Latin America. And he just sort of took that in. And he was a mentor beyond just being a boss. And he said, you should figure that out, <laughs> right? Uh, and so he was not surprised several months later, um, that July um, to fast forward to October, October 6th, my birthday, uh, my 36th birthday, uh, 2016, 2015, that I launched episode one with Adam James. And the moment when I realized that the podcast was going to be about Latin American solar was I was on the phone with Adam late night in the Connergy office. And I as I had often been, uh, was on the phone with Adam. And I said, man, we should be recording this. Like, what if we could, like, what if other people could eavesdrop on this conversation? And that was when it occurred to me, like people would love to eavesdrop on the conversations of people on the front lines, like myself and Marco Garcia and Edgar Arvizu and Andy Klump, who are doing real business in the market on the front lines, really waging battle against sort of the, the, the utilities, the incumbent oil and gas. We were really, uh, we were really, disrupting an industry. And Adam was calling me because I was a developer at one of the companies that was disrupting the industry. And he wanted to know, like, 
where are projects being developed? What are the markets that are opening up? And I said, man, what if we just like, we should create a podcast that is, that is the, the, the audio companion to your LATAM solar report, Adam's um, article. And that's why I said earlier, imitation is higher from highest form of flattery. I literally didn't have an idea of like what I should call it. So I just said, you know what, this first episode, we're going to call it the LATAM solar report audio version or whatever we want to name it. We're going to cover the Latin America solar industry because it is the fastest growing solar industry, solar region in the world. And um, we did that for the first 20 something episodes. And I rounded out the 20s with my first ever sponsor, Enphase. Thank you, Luis Morales, by doing the Pioneer Series. And it occurred to me that I should do a Pioneer Series by interviewing people who had been in the industry for a long time. Uh, I remember early uh, Pioneers that we featured included Jigger and Dan Sugar and Ed Fio. And we did a bunch of, um, of stories of folks in Latin America. And I realized like the people, that were tuning in, weren't tuning in because these people were in Latin America. They were tuning in because these people were entrepreneurs and they wanted to understand like, how are entrepreneurs thinking about building their businesses? And especially in this market called Latin America. Oh, that that's interesting. Like I can also learn about Latin America. Um, and I got an opportunity to interview Dan. Uh, thank you, Kristen. Uh, and I sat down with him in, I think it was episodes 39, uh, maybe episode 39. And I was sitting in his office and that's when I realized like Dan Sugar, classic Dan, sitting back in his desk with his shoes off and his sock feet up on his table. And I was just like, man, what a privilege. Like I am, that was both simultaneously when I realized my, my privilege as like being born white male American, my privilege being able to uproot my, you know, country bumpkin Southern self out of South Carolina, move to California, reinvent myself, get a job in the solar industry um, because Governor Schwarzenegger had uh, announced the California Solar Initiative and SB1, um, like just falling upward and falling forward into an industry that was nascent and, and grow and booming. What a privilege I had to sit before a guy who would come to be one of the iconic entrepreneurs in our industry and capture his story in a way that even he would say no one had done before. And that was me for me, the light bulb. I was like, wait a minute. I wish that I'd had this kind of a resource, this kind of an interview as a career guide for myself. I wish someone had taken the time to sort of interview Dan, five years ago, when I was trying to figure out how to get in the solar industry, why don't I do this? Like, I'll take the mantle. And that was the moment that I realized, and and interestingly enough, one of my favorite interviews of Suncast was the very next interview I did. I walked across the building. This is insider baseball because Andy and I both been in this building and everybody who's gone to Next Tracker understands to Suvi Sharma's office at Solaria. And if you listen to Suvi's interview, like if you listen to those back to back, Dan's interview and Suvi Sharma's interview, which aired like probably 10 or 20 episodes apart. It is worlds apart in, in quality. And I've never actually said this out loud. Like that was the defining moment. That was when I realized like I'm doing this for other people who get to learn from Suvi, not just what it's like to like go into Latin America or to build a company, but what it means to build something of, of, of meaning that, that gives, as we said in the beginning, fertile ground for people to plant their roots and to stick around and to create a company as an entrepreneur that changes the lives of even a few people and that impacts and improves the lives of many people. And that was the changing point. It was somewhere around episode 40 that I realized I have an opportunity here to actually mentor other people, my age, older than me, like age irrelevant, but people who want to get into the the clean energy business, in particular solar and would have loved to have had an hour with Dan. And so that's why when I started doing my pre-interviews from there, I would say to folks, look, 
and this was actually the the context all along um, from the very beginning, but I never enunciated it to others as guests. I said, if what I want to accomplish in this interview is imagine that the listener is sitting on a bar stool beside you and I at SPI, Solar Power International, our annual trade show here in the States. And their friend comes up and says, hey, let's go over to name your party, Shoals for Solar, whatever. I want to create such an interesting conversation that feels so authentic and human that they would say to their friend, rain check, I've been listening to these guys for the last 30 minutes. I'm not getting my butt up out of this bar stool until they do. So I'm going to order another round and I'm going to eavesdrop on them until they're done because they haven't figured out that I'm listening. And I wanted that, like I hadn't heard that level of authenticity in this medium. And because I think everybody up to then who had tried to be a podcaster for the industry wanted to use the platform. And this isn't a bad thing. I'm not knocking this, but they used the platform as a way to elevate their own personal authority as a thought leader, rather than use it as a platform to lift others up and say, look at this thought leader. Here's what you can learn from them, right? And Nico, I think that's that's an important theme that I want to highlight. And I certainly found an inspiration platform of myself to learn from the best in breed uh, entrepreneurs and other business leaders, because you don't just bring on entrepreneurs, you bring on others who are industry thought leaders. And there's also, I think, another key theme here, which is about the diversity of the talent that you bring on the podcast, which is fantastic because it is inspiring to hear from others who are entrepreneurs in their own right, but also leading trade associations, folks like Abby Hopper and Heather Zeichel, Julie Hamm, uh, who recently stepped down from SEPA, having lasting impact on our industry, but also a number of, uh, of female entrepreneurs. And, you know, just looking at Amanda Bybee, you know, Catherine Rizia, uh, Michelle McGee, Anne Gagliotti, you know, Angela Rainford. There's a whole host of folks uh, who are phenomenal in their respective craft and their field and many in the industry look up to. So I, I also I'm curious to know how where, where did you get the inspiration to bring in that uh, that diversity of, of perspective? And you trace some of your family roots and gave your mother and your grandmother a lot of credit, but we'd love to hear more about uh, your thought of, of how you've branched off into bring a diverse uh, audience to, uh, to Suncast. Yeah. I'll give uh, a hat tip to Tristan Arian Larico, good friend of ours, um, who introduced me to this unbelievable five foot uh, spitfire named Tara Doyle. I'll never, ever forget sitting at Thirsty Bear with her at Intersolar 20, I'm going to say 2018. So this is roughly two years into, two and a half years into doing Suncast. And I was just like, man, this, this lady seems pretty cool. I'm enjoying this conversation. Um, not sure where it's going to go. Like, I don't, I don't know much about her business. I just interviewed, obviously, Tristan for the show uh, because they had been, they, that was like among the first times they had put out the PV report card. And she was, I thought, uh, that she'd showed up just to say, thank you. Like, thanks for publishing this thing for Tristan. This was really cool. She goes, you know what, Nico? I like what you're doing, but you got a blind spot. <laughs> I said, all right, what's that? She goes, where are the women? I'm like, yeah, you're right. She goes, you know, this industry is made up of roughly 30% females, don't you? I said, yeah. And she goes, you have like roughly less than 3% females on your show. And none of them are, are founders or really executives in in solar companies and not to knock any of the other guests I'd had, but she was right. They were by and large kind of the 
the gender stereotype roles that women tend to fall into in our industry. And, and I had not even really pursued trying to bring women on. And I'll tell you why, because I was trying to get founders and C-suite executives. And in our industry at, in 2018, you know, like Esme might've been one of the only female founders I could think of. And I had had her on the show, right? That reminds me, that's another female founder who did have an exit that we couldn't think of. We were thinking of the list earlier, but three megawatt, great example, right? And she wasn't even American, right? Like it was so hard at that time for me to find uh, an American female founder uh, who would uh, part two, like give me the time of day. A lot of the women that I reached out to, like women were so hard to schedule with. I, I, I shared this probably secretly with you. Like the more I tried to get females on the show, the more I realized like, I don't know why they aren't taking me seriously. They think I'm probably trying to take advantage of them in some way um, for my platform. Uh, but it was, it was, it, it has been easily five to 10 X harder to book women on the show than men. That notwithstanding in 2018, Tara Doyle said, you gotta have more women on the show. Uh, I want your commitment that you're going to have more women on the show. And I said, Tara, I commit to having more women on the show. I will at least have a 30% diversity of females on the show. And then to her great credit, um, Kristen Graff had a big, a bigger impact on the show than, than she might imagine. Um, I think she shows up around episode 160 something, 180 something. Uh, she's the founder of Rise, uh, Women Renewables. I'll never forget meeting her at, I think, uh, an ACOR event in New York. And she said, uh, I'll interview on your show, but you got to put this whole like solar warrior thing to bed. And I said, what do you mean? She's like, are you kidding me? Like the machismo just in your intro alone is so thick with like bro culture and like male platitude. She's like, I don't even feel comfortable. Don't call me a solar warrior. Don't, don't put me in the battle. Uh, I, I can't identify. And, uh, and those are two wake up call moments for me early because I'd really staked a claim on solar warrior as anybody who's listening to the show has known. Like, and I never gave that up. And I told her, look, I'm not going to give up like the solar warrior uh, moniker as it were, but I hear you. Um, and that played a role in expanding the Suncast offering, as it were, and softening a bit the tone of the show. I think that's a great uh, that's a great segue to my next question, because, uh, by the way, I'm a huge fan of Kristen Graff. Uh, we actually had uh, her speak to our company recently. It was a phenomenal session. So I uh, love the work that she's doing at Rise and many, uh, many female uh, business leaders and entrepreneurs are hugely impactful. Uh, at uh, Clean Energy Associates, we do track the number of uh, women in our company, and so we're uh, we've we've made a, a market effort because it's difficult in an engineering-driven organization to find yeah. females in certain roles. But we've grown so from twenty-five percent up to twenty-seven, up to thirty percent, and so it's important, I think, for us to continue to hire and bring diversity into the industry. But to the theme that you just mentioned about Solar Warrior, and I actually think it would be phenomenal. If you input the old uh, the old trailer that you used to have on those first yeah. 150 episodes, I think that's just interesting to the first walk 99 down episodes. Yeah. Yes, uh, Here, I think that's. Do you want me to play it for you now so you can like hear it and yes, I would love love to hear it. Love to hear it. <laughs> this is Suncast. In every battle, there's a front line. On that front line are warriors whose courage and actions shape the outcome of the battle. The world is currently engaged in a literal power struggle, a battle in global energy as it evolves from fossil fuels to renewable energy. Suncast is a conversation with solar warriors on the front lines, building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. 
we learn their secrets to personal and professional growth, market development, and industry insights. And now, join solar industry veteran, Latin America fanatic, and your host, Nico Johnson. That's great. And I, I, I'm sure, Nico, over a beer, we could talk about the, what happened that day that you recorded that and, and wrote yeah. that script. But I, I knew he's a professional, so thanks for validating mm-hmm. that. But mm-hmm. the theme I wanted to bring up was, uh, and we talked a lot of this before in our, our preparation about the fact that there was this battle between the solar industry and traditional oil and gas. But the reality is, uh, or sometimes between the the solar industry and utilities, for example. But the reality is we are all one and the same. We are thinking about energy security. We certainly see what's happening in Ukraine and other parts of the world that are deficient on energy and how solar is a, a, a renewable resource that can be deployed at scale around the world. And we actually track that at CEA. And I know the world is uh, looking as the industry continues to go through growth and challenges on supply chain and various government regulatory regimes that make it difficult to have uh, free trade. But the the challenge I, I, I want to just highlight is the fact that this is not a battle of us versus them, us versus mm, uh, oil right. and gas. It's really about how do we incorporate the oil majors and uh, the mm-hmm. other players who are major corporates, you know, shifting into this sector, who rightfully so are now shifting towards renewables and mm-hmm. utilities example are, are now and many developers have shifted this build load transfer model where they're transferring this to utility ownership. And that's the way to move the industry ahead as utility scale moves the sector is allow the utilities to rate base this to their constituents and their, uh, their, their rate payers. So the reality is for us to deploy solar energy storage, other forms of renewable energy in large scale, we need to continue to work together with some of those who we thought were on the other side of the, of the field yeah. and battle. So I'm curious to know your, your thoughts on that theme as we, uh, as we pursue this energy transformation, not just energy transition, yeah. as, uh, as Tomas would say. So the, the, the number one question I got on after episode 100 aired, uh, where we debuted this sort of the new uh, intro that we've used for the last 400 episodes and that people would recognize as most listeners now would recognize as like the Suncast intro, um, which I love the music. I use it as like when I'm speaking, I use, I walk out to that music. I just love it. I've, I put a lot of thought into it and I wanted something more upbeat, but uh, I didn't feel that the first 100 episodes really were represented while it catalyzed this idea of solar warriors and our friend uh, Etienne Lecomte immediately called me. He's one of our, another like Suncast, like faithful listener. He immediately called me that morning and he's like, dude, we literally have played the Suncast intro on the loudspeaker in the office. It is like our war cry. And I said, Etienne, I, I love that, man. That's so inspiring to know that, but it speaks to the fact that it is alienating of a broader audience. And uh, even where it said Latin America fanatic, and where I said we're we're on the front lines of like basically down with fossil fuels. That was kind of like the the war cry. Like we are solar warriors. We're taking this new technology and disrupting the old utility model. And I wanted people to uh, be able to listen to Suncast without feeling like they were not somehow involved and they weren't included. And in particular, I started seeing so many folks trying to transition to the renewable side of uh, of energy. Um, from the traditional fossil fuel side of energy. 
And uh, lately I've been thinking a lot about something that you just said, and I, I've enunciated it as there is no us versus them, or rather there is no versus, it's only us, right? Absolutely. And it's a simple, it's a simple yet important distinction that there is only one category for most consumers of energy. There's only one category. It's called energy. Most consumers don't think when they flip the light switch on about whether it came from electric, from solar or wind or coal or hydro, they don't think about that. They think about, does this serve my family, my business, my, uh, my needs? And it is our job to figure out how to sustainably replicate that, uh, that first world uh, developed economy sort of privilege that, that we all often take as a right. As a, as a Peace Corps volunteer in Guatemala, I couldn't take it as a right. I had so many neighbors that didn't have electricity. They didn't have electricity. They would have loved to have a solar panel on their roof. So many of my Peace Corps uh, volunteer friends in Africa uh, lived in whole communities with no electricity. They were involved in helping bring, literally turn the lights on by putting solar on the roof. And so uh, for us as an industry to evolve beyond us versus them and embrace the fact that it takes all of us and that there are so many smart people in the, uh, the, the, the fossil fuel side of the energy sector, which is in fact the large majority of the energy sector today in the world, who want to see a better world for their children, who didn't start their career believing that they would somehow destroy the planet, and who want to put their geophysics or chemistry or uh, electrical engineering degrees to good use and leave a legacy. It is incumbent on us to extend that olive branch. And for me and the Suncast platform, where I seek to educate, inform, inspire, and create the definitive career guide for the clean energy curious, right? Like I have to have a way to say to folks across the aisle, as it were, you are welcome in the renewable side of the business. In fact, you have so many transferable skills that are valuable for us. How can we help you? And also to say, you have so many skills that we need in our industry your attention to detail, your focus on safety and quality is par excellence in a way that most solar companies have no concept of how to institute. How can you help us, right? And that's something that five years ago, seven years ago was anathema, the idea that, some, that somehow like a, a, an oil and gas company could help us, right? It was us fighting against them. It was Chevron and BP coming in and like beating us because they had deep pockets and they were going straight to the municipalities and winning all the all the deals and they were greenwashing and all these things, right? And it can be said that potentially folks think that way about Shell and, um, and BP and, and many other oil and gas companies, Halliburton, so many now that are genuinely investing way more than, than the renewable side of the business is in figuring out how to, to transform the energy sector. Um, but the reality is there is no us versus them. It's only us. And we have to work, work this together. And it's a big tent. And Heather Cycle points that out a lot when she talks about clean power as a segment that over time it has evolved from, you know, the, how the wind industry is evolving and helping how the solar industry is evolving. And now in many ways, how electric vehicles and energy storage are the catalysts for growth and transformation. But in, in all cases, we have to get out of this mindset that there is somehow an aisle upon across which we see things differently and we have to reach across and like pull people in our direction uh, because everybody is headed in the direction that if we keep doing things the way we always did them, we can't uh, evolve. I co completely agree. And I think that uh, speaks to the fact that climate change is all very real. And it is very clear. I, the statistic that surprised me is that there are over 20 million Americans in the last 18 months 
that have been without electricity for at least one day, and whether it's the rolling blackouts wow. in California oh, I have no idea. or it's such a good stat. Where'd you get that? <laughs> I, I I heard it. Uh, I, I I want to say I heard it on a podcast, but it was uh, a shocking statistic about the number of natural disasters that are happening. If you look what's happened in Houston, you know, in Texas, you know, the deep freeze, you know, just depends where you want to have your starting point. But there have been a number of uh, weather related catastrophes that are causing havoc. And it's actually impacting our business as uh, Clean Energy Associates now is over 65 professionals uh, on the ground in the U.S. But a lot of them are off deployed at different job sites to help solve technical issues and problems. And so I think the, the broader theme is that climate change is real. It is a mainstream thinking, and there are a number of institutions that are wholly committed to investing in our sector. And I think yeah. that's you know one of the other themes you've seen with your uh, you know with your Sun Suncast uh, you know host or, or just the number of uh, of speakers who've now gone through and led their company to successful exits. <laughs> it's becoming mainstream. Uh, I think the yeah. the or the the fact that um, I think BlackRock's uh, CEO, Larry Fink, uh, you, you mm-hmm. sent me this note. Uh, he said the next $1,000 billion startups will be in climate tech. So I'm um, the theme that we've seen exits and incredible valuations, even though they pull back a little bit uh, with the current mm-hmm. state of affairs in the economy. I think there's acknowledgement of a number of successful companies that have exited. Dan Sugar, obviously, is one. Yeah. You know, Jigger Shaw, we talked about George Hirschman, who was on recently. Right. Paul Grana, mm-hmm. uh, Folsom Labs exiting, exiting to Aurora, uh, John Berger, Mike Silvestrini, and others. We now see that uh, this is a major theme. And so you've captured this by working with a lot of entrepreneurs. So, I mean, what advice or what, what perspective would you give for those, uh, those entrepreneurs who are down that path and trying to build and scale successful businesses? Uh, you've gleaned a lot of expertise from various business leaders. So, what advice and perspective would you give to those entrepreneurs who are listening right now and wanting to build up their company for an exit? Because an exit not only accomplishes some of maybe the near-term economic goals that some have, but it also allows larger companies to step into this industry and help make a deeper impact. And I think that's one of the key points that entrepreneurs need to think about is by partnering with these large incumbents and large, well-established players, they can do that much more. And that, to me, is very exciting as I think about our sector and its nascent stage. I think that you pointed out something early on in the in the conversation that I want to come back to, is, which is a lot of folks have this, um, this Silicon Valley-infused um, myopic view on entrepreneurship that to do something important, you got to go raise money, you got to go build a big team, and you got to sell it. Uh, and, you know, we just did an interview uh, episode 497 and 498 with the founders of Tradewind Savion. And that is a platform that I would argue many people in the industry didn't even know existed unless they were part of OEA uh, or particularly part of like the large utility scale sector because these guys quietly built a monster of a business that in 2017, OEA named the number one renewable energy company in America, Right. That's a remarkable trade wind. Like, do you know those guys ran that business for 17 years thinking they'll never have an exit? They ran it for 17 years wondering if they'd be able to make payroll. <laughs> it's incredible. And I tell you, I tell that and, and I really will implore folks to go listen. It's a longer episode. It's a two-parter. 
and go listen to George Hirschman and James Warden. They're two-part episodes. If you want to hack the suncast process, like go find the ones that are either multiple times a guest or did a two-part episode. I guarantee you those are the real diamonds and gems that you will want to listen to. Paul Grana, two-part episode. Kyle Cherry, two-part episode. Jenya Medbury, two-part episode. Uh, you've been on three times, now four times, and hopefully mm-hmm. soon five times. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll be my first five-time guest. The common thread is that, and, and this is not news to anyone, but we have to be told this so many times, is it'll take twice as much time or more, and it'll take twice as much money. And, and the thing that you should hear from that is be committed to it. You have to be committed to what you think you are going to solve for the marketplace, not what you think you're going to solve for your balance sheet and your pocketbook. And I continually find that the interviews and the founders who are most meaningful to me are the ones who inspire me to keep going, to dig in and find the grit necessary. And, you know, I'm, that's true for you. You inspire me. I've said that to you, like, you know, over a decade of determination and failing, failing forward and figuring out where you add unique value in the industry. It is not uh, by chance that Arch Rao and Span are a unicorn company. It's not by chance that the folks at Aurora and Arcadia are unicorns. They have found a unique offering of value in the industry. And by, by unique, I don't mean that they're the only ones who do it. I mean that they are able to rally people around and enunciate the value proposition in a way that, that solves so many people's problems that customers and investors alike are willing to say, here's our money to help you have a bigger impact. That sort of fits into this, the, what I call some of the superpowers that I've uh, uncovered about the guests uh, over 500 episodes. Uh, and I think that you as well, Andy, em- are emblematic of some of these. Um, you know, one of the things that stands out to me the most, and going back to Dan Sugar as a great example, and if you want to hear kind of how this bears fruit, listen to Tara Doyle's two-part episode, which is amazing. Amanda Bybee as well. Amazing. God, two-part episodes. It's like, it's the magic, uh, it's the magic sign uh, on Suncast. I can tell you that. But Dan Sugar is one of those leaders who really understands uh, the value of a story. And there's power in having a story. And I've found that all of the good CEOs I've met who are transformational leaders, both for their company and the industry, understand how to find like uncover their story, uncover the gems that move people to get on board. And they tell them over and over. And they tell them with a rote, fanatic commitment to the same story because it is, because it works. And they'll tweak it maybe here or there to see how it impacts the industry. But they really understand how to communicate it. Mary Powell is like that. Mm-hmm. Michelle McGee mm-hmm. uh, tells Absolutely. some amazing stories. Uh, David Skaysbrook, I've got an interview with him coming for Quinn's, Quinbrook. Holy moly, that guy has some unbelievable stories. And if you go listen to like 17 podcasts, he tells the same story. And if you talk to their employees, it often, I laugh about this. My former um, boss, Randy McEwen, was just like this too. This is where I first re- recognized it is you go to dinner with them, right? But you are the only common thread because in sales, like we go out with our executives a lot. The only common thread is that it's us with new people, but the stories are the same. And that was when it started to dawn on me. Oh my gosh, the power of story in sales is unstoppable. And you have to tweak and edit and modify until you find the right one that like pulls that emotional thread that gets people engaged and and gets them on your side to say, we are in this together. How can we row 
this boat further and faster together. And I, I would say like, you will not build a company with meaning or impact if you can't get your story right. And that's like, that's a foundational principle. And it's one of the things that I am always seeking. I want to understand in every interview, what's your story? How do you uniquely impact the industry? And how do you rally a hundred plus people to come alongside you and do, and do this with you? Nico, that, I think those are great takeaways and uh, I think a great way to, to round out that, that question. I want to, I want to kind of wrap up on the, the past 500 episodes and maybe ask this one question. I'm maybe stealing a book from uh, a question from John Powers, but uh, he often asks the question, what would you tell yourself when you're in college? I, I want to ask the question, maybe not that far back and say, what advice would you give yourself roughly seven years ago when you set up Suncast and what would you do differently? Uh, from that point uh, till today. Hmm. So in that um, sort of superpower category, I've kind of uncovered like four or five that I think are important. And the one that resonates in in this instance is the power of consistency. I remember early uh, my friend, Harry uh, Duran, who runs a podcast. If you want to hear a really funny episode, go listen to Harry's interview of me on Podcast Junkies where he really kicked my ass and he's like, dude, don't pod fade. Pod fade is when you start a podcast and you sort of peter out. He said, you're really good at this. Why haven't you done any more recordings? And I'd basically done like nine and taken like six months off. What I would tell myself is uh, this gift that you've been given uh, by getting laid off and getting a severance check from Conergy. What a privilege you have now to double down on your platform. Don't be scared and run off and get uh, consulting contracts and distract yourself with all of the ways that you can placate your own ego about what you're good at in making money. I've got, you've got this severance, right? Like I had that, that buffer on my balance sheet, so to speak, to cover me for three to six months. And I was so insecure about what value I offered and whether people would buy into it that I didn't double down. And I, and I wasn't consistent and I was very inconsistent for the first couple of years on the podcast specifically, because I didn't try hard enough to find the, the vision for what it was really meant to be. And I would tell Nico in 2015, uh, October, November 18th, when I was laid off from Conergy, um, which itself was sort of demoralizing and um, something I haven't spent a whole lot of time unpacking on the podcast. I'd say, look, you have something special here. Um, lean in, you'll figure it out, uh, but be consistent. The thing about the power of consistency, you know, Tom Bilyeu, uh, who's an entrepreneur, create Quest Bar, a billion dollar company, um, and, and a fellow podcaster and educator. He says, it's, it's just that you haven't done it long enough to see an impact. And I realized around 2019 that I started to get traction uh, when I started to treat this like a profession, not a side hustle, not a hobby. And I remember at SPI 2019 in Salt Lake, someone came up to me and they said, Nico, you know, what's funny is that you seem to still think that, and I was, I'd been consulting from 2016 to 2019, consulting to sort of pay the bills. And so I sort of aligned my ego and, and id and personality with the companies that I consulted for and sort of represented in the marketplace, even though I had this plat- plat- platform. And this person said to me, um, and I'm internally grateful for them. You seem to believe that we all see you as like Nico, the, the solar industry consultant who also has a podcast. <laughs> And it's the opposite. We see you as Nico, the solar podcast icon who also does this random consulting thing for like these companies that you sometimes talk about. That flipped my mind. Um, from that from that moment, I haven't I haven't had a consulting contract at all. And I I just said, you know what? He's he's exactly right. 
I can make a living from this and I'm going to double down. And we went to twice a week podcasts, um, roughly around that time. And I made a commitment to myself, my wife, my team that I was going to professionally podcast and I was going to figure out what that meant. And that power of consistency, you know, I, I learned from Michelle McGee as well. I posted this recently on LinkedIn where she said she surrounded herself with a team that didn't succeed because of a perfect product they created, but because of their unwillingness to fail. And so I would encourage entrepreneurs hearing this to, to learn from my mistakes as well, but also be willing to fail, but have a dogged determination that there is no true failure. It is all feedback and um, you have to show up every day. I interview every single day. I'm doing something to create this show every single day. And when I changed from, I do this a couple of times a week to sort of kind of keep my presence in the industry as a thought leader to I will do this every day and I will figure out how I add value by practicing. And I told you this when I first started, my friend and uh, co-worker at Conergy, Jan Brandt, said to me when he heard the first episode, he said, hey, how are you going to do this? Almost as a joke. And I said, every week. And he sort of chuckled uh, as if to say, good luck with having that kind of consistency. But that, you know, consistency is key. The ability to show up over time creates that body of work. And I told you, because uh, I think you said, how, how long do you think this will go? I said, I don't know, man, but I'm at least going to try 500 episodes. And nobody had even <laughs> conceived of 500 episodes. Like Energy Gang at that time was at 200 episodes. And here we are, 500 episodes. Well, Nicole, as we, uh, as we wrap up, I've got two final questions to ask you. And the, uh, the one uh, I've been dying to ask ever since I've listened to 450 plus episodes. And once again, as I said, I'm one of your most avid listeners and I've learned from every single episode. So there's constantly nuggets that you keep digging in. And I, I must say, uh, I, I've, I've recorded a lot of podcasts, but you were the first podcast I recorded with back in 2018. And you're probably the only person who would have uh, actually been able to convince me to say tidy whities on air, but I did that and you highlighted my first <laughs> line. So I still give you uh raz you for that one. But the one question I want to ask you is what is in your crystal ball? Where is the future of our industry headed? Uh, the ever uh, everlasting crystal ball question. You know, I get, I have the privilege of asking this of 500 entrepreneurs and hearing their, uh, their answers. And so invariably my answer is in some way a blend of the, of the thousands of conversations I've had over the last seven years. You know, Sheldon Kimber, one of our good, good buddies in the industry and truly a deep thinker and an unbelievable entrepreneur has talked about the nexus of decarbonization. I believe that the technology requirements for decarbonization extend much beyond, like much further than what we have been thinking in terms of just solar, that uh, our ability to unlock energy storage, short and long duration energy storage, gives us the capacity for capacity and renewable power, uh, the ability to actually truly be 100% renewable electricity and not, um, and not just lip service to it. And as Bill Nussie, our mutual friend, has so adequately and elegantly outlined in his book, which we covered back in, there's another two-parter, it was amazing, back in December, um, the Trojan horse for accomplishing a lot of that is what we are currently seeing, the electric vehicle industry boom. So they kind of go hand in hand. If we follow the thread, the electric vehicle industry will usher in the age of battery storage at scale and the ability for every consumer to engage in one of the, trans, the, the transitional questions I used to ask back in previous episodes, transactive energy. I think that 
the future really is in transactive energy. And if we think about the uh, the pattern matching, the fabric that we're trying to see the the, the through line of, it is uh, things like blockchain and uh, and you know companies like Form Energy and and Intersect and uh, thought leaders like Bill Nussie all coalescing around the idea that our ability to generate power from renewable energy and store it for any duration of time can help us decouple from the old way that we generated a, a base load capacity to turn the lights on in your home, which was by and large through fossil fuels. It will give us the ability to make power at a consumer level, save and store that power in our homes or our businesses or our cars and sell that power at a hyper-local, and even a regional level. And the business models, as it was the case for Netscape and Juno and AOL in, you know, 99, the Google of our industry hasn't even been created yet. And, I, and it's not to knock Aurora or Span or Arcadia or Intersect or, or so many of the businesses that we admire, but we still haven't seen what Larry Fink of BlackRock is alluding to the next thousand unicorns will be addressing climate issues and there will be climate tech companies. And I think that we're in that moment right now in that 99, 2000, uh, not dot-com bubble, but the moment where mass consumer acceptance of the reality of our ability to make, save and sell electricity on our own and not need a central power to do it and manage it for us has been unlocked. It is unlocked now. It's actually in our grasp. We can do this. And the technology from Enphase and Generac and so many companies that are um, providing this capability, Tesla, that they are the first domino to fall. Um, So I'm super excited for the next 500 or 1,000 episodes to explore along with those entrepreneurs who are creating those companies, what it looks like to give that power back to the consumer. And yeah, I think transactive energy, our ability to actually be in control of our power and save it and store it and sell it is going gonna, is gonna to change the way we think fundamentally as consumers about uh, our connection with electricity. Well, well, Nico, with that, I think you just uh, already answered my second uh, final question, which was about what you want to tell your kids <laughs> and uh, the next generation. And once again, you have three kids. I have uh, four daughters myself, mm-hmm. and I feel like they will be listening to this episode and many others mm-hmm. in the future. But you absolutely are uh, a massive, you have a massive impact on this industry Mm. and you're marching down that path towards the next 500 episodes to reach a thousand. So I feel very, uh, very humbled. You uh, invited me to to uh, to moderate this and uh, learn from as I was taking notes during your many great insights uh, Mm. and many others. uh, Avid listeners are going to be listening to this uh, this episode and want to thank you for your fantastic contributions to our, our sector. So. With that, Nico, uh, I'll turn it over to you to make any final closing comments. Andy, I'm humbled that you accepted the the offer to to be my Sherpa in this uh, in this. You know, I haven't had I can count on one hand the number of people who have interviewed me, and it's been I think very intentional. Me hiding behind the microphone, hiding behind the stage and the curtain, if as it were, and it was difficult to accept the challenge where so many listeners reached out and said, Hey, you really should just turn the mic. And I said, no, I did that in episode 100. Um, and I'm grateful for the ability to walk alongside you and to, to have you mentor me and have the ability to see inside of your business and how it has grown. And, uh, for you to be transparent and vulnerable in the ways that you have with the Suncast community 
And that's emblematic of every guest that uh, has walked alongside us for 500 episodes. So I want to thank every single guest that took of their time. Uh, as we say always in the intro to Suncast, you're giving us the only resource you've got that is non-renewable. <laughs> and we don't take it for granted. So thank you to every guest. Thank you to you, Andy, for helping us sort of guide through this conversation. And thank you, Solar Warrior, for listening. Thank you for tuning in. For many of you, 400 plus times. Hope that you'll stick around. The next 500 are sure to be interesting as we expand uh, the Suncast community and the Suncast network. And we start to focus on different communities like hydrogen and energy storage and beyond. So thank you. uh, Thank you, Andy. Thank you to every listener. Excellent. Fantastic, Nico. It's been a lot of fun and we look forward to this next 500. Keep up the great work. All right, Solar Warrior. That's a wrap on today's episode. I hope that you feel a little more in touch with the the how, why, when, where, who, what, etc. of my past, our future together, and why I have dedicated the last seven years of my life to 500 such conversations. Many, many more hours were left on the cutting room floor, and I'm grateful every single minute that was gifted to me by every guest who generously gave of their time so that you could learn on their dime. If you're eager to keep learning, you, my fellow Philomath, can find the resources and highlights from this and every other discussion that we've had on social media and all over this podcast. The book links for every guest that I've been able to glean information from, recommendations and more, all over on the blog at mysuncast.com. I intend to do a much better job of curating the books and who recommended them and even tags of what kinds of episodes you can find here on Suncast as we look to revamp our website here in the coming days and weeks. A very special thank you to those of you who've taken the time to help Suncast with more than 75 star reviews. Like this note from user named Sandcroft1 on Apple Podcasts. Excellence in consistency and positive information sharing, says Sandcroft. The global aspects discussed of skills and applicability are excellent, and a lot of value was derived by many ongoing from the fantastic work Nico and team are delivering continuously and consistently. Thank you, Sandcroft. This one also from Apple user named Consistent Excellence. Suncast should be at the top of your podcast list. Nico takes the time to get to know his guests and consistently produces outstanding episodes. The review actually takes the time to express gratitude directly to me, which I'm honored to read, but I won't repeat here so as to not seem too self-ingratiating. Thank you to both of you for your lovely reviews. You too, dear listener, can easily leave a review. It's fast and easy. Seriously, this is the easiest way I've seen. Just go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast. That's ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast. They'll take care of the rest. I'm so incredibly grateful for all the enthusiastic five-star reviews we have so far. It really helps the show more than you can imagine. Next week, we go deep on fire safety and battery systems with Catherine Von Berg. We also feature an executive deep dive with a woman who is just simply stunning in many, many ways, most importantly, intellectually, Miss Steph Spears of Solstice, which promises to be a very memorable episode indeed. Thanks once again 
to our sponsors who help make this content free to you. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also where you can learn how to partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions just like you twice a week. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.